This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Shriver. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, Novak Djokovic is a seven-time Wimbledon champion, a 21-time Grand Slam champion. He has won the title here at SW19, where you find myself, David Law, Matt Roberts, atop the Wimbledon broadcast roof one more time. He has won the title here four consecutive years, or four consecutive tournament years, because, of course, in case you'd forgotten, there was a pandemic Mm. in the middle of those four years. But... He is a truly extraordinary man, a truly extraordinary competitor. He's beaten Nick Kyrgios today in four sets. David, if I told you in the year 2000 when your man Pete Sampras was winning his seventh title here, that 22 years later, two men would also have won seven titles or more, what would you have said to me? Yeah, I would have thought it was absurd and, and you were lying, <laughs> to be <laughs> honest. Um, he had come to the future with li- from, from the future with lies, is what I would have thought. Um, I mean, look, in the year 2000, Roger Federer ha- had just come out of juniors and was trying to figure it out and wasn't doing a very good job of it, to be quite honest. Um, and Pete Sampras was looking good at, as the the most successful Grand Slam winning male of all time and I didn't see that changing anytime soon and to think that he he was over I remember when, in 2009 when Federer overtook him that and I, I got a chance to, to interview Sampras earlier that year before it happened and that was an amazing opportunity to, to kind of get in his mind and try to understand what it must feel like um, and now here we are and Federer's third you know, that is startling when you when you hear that. And it's the first time that's happened. First time he's ever been third in the Grand Slam race. Matt, hit us with the stat that you bamboozled us, bamboozled us all with on the group chat earlier. Yeah, well, Federer once led Novak Djokovic in the Grand Slam race 16-1. 
following the 2010 Australian Open when Federer beat Andy Murray in that final. That was Federer's 16th slam, and Djokovic at that point was on one, having won the Australian Open in 2008. And, you know, a decade, 12 years later, Djokovic is now ahead of him. It's It's been the decade of Novak Djokovic, really. I mean, Rafael Nadal absolutely as well, but... The way Djokovic has reeled Federer in and now overtaken him, pretty extraordinary. And I think the idea of Federer having the most Wimbledons among the men certainly kind of makes sense, I suppose, just because of the way he won his first Grand Slam here, the way that sort of his his game matches up with gla- uh, matches up with grass and the sort of class of the man. It, it just all fits Wimbledon, doesn't it, Roger Federer? But the fact that Novak Djokovic is now on seven, tying Pete Sampras, I think maybe is just a bit more surprising to people. I think people don't associate Djokovic with this mm. tournament no, he's quite a, so much. Federer is a quintessential grass court mm. player. Exactly. What, what we've always known that to be. Djokovic has, has basically developed a new way of dominating. Mm. And I said the other day, he's beaten Federer in three Wimbledon finals. You know, he, he arguably... Okay, he's still one Wimbledon short of Federer. I mean, he's sort of arguably a better grass court player than Federer, certainly over this last 10 years. And he could win another two, yeah. Yeah, that's it. And I think one of the interesting lines from Djokovic's press conference, which was actually a bit subdued, actually, I, I felt, mm. in his press conference. He wasn't, he wasn't buzzing in the way that I thought he might be, but he did talk about Wimbledon and this tournament as always coming at the right time for him in his career. And I thought that was interesting because you look back over some of his titles, 2011, it was here where he got to world number one for the first time. That was a big deal for him. 2014, he won here. That was his first Grand Slam title with Boris Becker as his coach. And he'd lost a few Grand Slam finals and he hadn't won a slam for about 18 months at that point. There were some, there were some little doubts. 2018 he won here when he hadn't won a slam for a while that was really the sort of rejuvenation of his career at that point I thought point. that was one of his biggest because mm. he, that was mm. when he arrived at Queen's that was when he had the year before he'd withdrawn with an elbow, an, an elbow problem against mm. Thomas Burdick and where, the, where a couple of weeks before in Paris he'd said maybe I won't even play the yeah, grass yeah. there were so many question marks over him in 2018 mm. yeah that was such a big win for him and then I think this is a really big win for him considering his lack of vaccination and we don't know whether he's going to be able to play the US Open or the Australian Open the fact that Nadal had moved too clear it's just big for Djokovic so he gets this one again and closes that gap to one and yeah I thought that was a good point Wimbledon has been an important very important tournament for him throughout his career and on the face of it this final today four sets over Nick Kyrgios Djokovic losing the first set and coming back to win the next three that is a pattern we're extremely used to you know looking at it on paper it looks like oh your classic Djokovic match that's that's what he's been doing all tournament that's what he's been doing for a long time and yet it felt very very different to other Djokovic matches that have had that template I think well the Kyrgios brings an uncertainty to him, to everybody else, because he, nobody really knows what he's going to do on the court, but everybody knows he's got weapons that the others don't really have, and he can go about it differently. And he came out and he played exactly as somebody who might want him to win would have wanted him to be playing. He was on from ball one. 
he was relaxed he was but he was also dialed in he was the right balance between relaxed and focused and the serve was working he he hit an underarm serve that didn't win a point but it didn't matter he did it at 40 love sensible time to do it you know he played one through the leg shot which was a, actually a brilliant shot right at the feet of Djokovic which Djokovic managed to volley away for a winner again it didn't didn't matter in the context of the set in fact these things i think he just looked loose. He looked mm. his best self in the first set. Djokovic a bit stiff. All the things that I kind of thought could could well happen, really, based on, as you say, the last couple of rounds for Djokovic. He's lost the first set the last two. He lost the first set against Berrettini a year ago. There's never panic. And he just plays the long game. And he just manages these things so, so well. And he... he drew Kyrgios into his web, into his type of match. And Kyrgios fell for it. Yeah, I thought it was pretty much a masterclass in how to play Nick Kyrgios from Djokovic today. Um, This whole thing of him losing the first set, we talked about it the other day, but it, it really is a pretty recent phenomenon in how good he's become at winning after dropping the first set in slams. I had a look at his record... 2005 to 2020 so that big span his grand slam record after losing the first set he had a losing record you know if he if he dropped the first set he lost more than he won only by one match but it was a losing record in the last two years he's won 12 of the 14 where he's lost the first set really it's an absolutely astonishing turnaround and I don't know what it is I think it's experience I think it's confidence I think it's a trust in his game and honestly from the first set onwards I just felt like Djokovic played a magnificent match you know we've just had Nick Kyrgios in his press conference and as I think as much as they do get on now Kyrgios and Djokovic I don't think Kyrgios can quite bring himself to say that Djokovic is the best mm. I think he you know he, he gave a good line about Federer that Federer still can make you feel bad just by how quickly he plays how talented he is to me this was the first time Kyrgios had got to feel Djokovic over five sets in a grandstand final and I think Djokovic played at a level that I think Kyrgios really should kind of be admitting is so good and the things he does so well, obviously the return. I mean, it took him a set to figure out the Kyrgios serve, but when he did figure it out, he started applying a lot of pressure on the Kyrgios service games. He get, he got the return back at the feet. Um, I thought he stayed so composed, Djokovic, and wasn't wasn't allowing any of Kyrgios's chuntering or ranting to get to him at all. He targeted the Kyrgios forehand. It, mm. it was just... All the things that you think you should do against Nick Kyrgios, Djokovic did them. I thought sets two, three and four, he was so good today. I think it's fundamental to the Kyrgios psyche that he believes he is the best tennis player and it's just a question of whether mm. he produces his best level on, on the day. I don't, I don't think we'll ever see an admission that they're just fundamentally better probably only the the line about Federer is as close as he gets to 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 nod to somebody he Mm. regards as a bit of a god and that one at the US Open they played that Mm. time when he you could tell he was just like oh my and he he talked about that today didn't he 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 was asked is Novak Djokovic sort of the hardest person you've ever faced and he said 
no, he said Federer, Federer is the only one that sort of can just make you feel kind of silly out there. Um, he was, you know, he was clear to draw a distinction. Uh, David has just delved into his backpack and produced <laughs> a ragged notepad with the most... Ex- I mean, I hope you haven't lost your mind, David. Well, It looks like a sort of, you know, Russell Crowe in a beautiful mind type <laughs> vibe over here. What... What am I looking at? Well, these I'm I'm not usually a note taker during tennis matches. No. I usually you're I, Mr. Wing you know, it, busk it, it and make it sound like you've done hours of prep. <laughs> but um, the, these are just my notes of the points as they were going along. Um, because I, I do, when you get to the quarterfinals onwards, I start to realise that the points and the stage that things change matter more. So. I just wanted to remind myself because I, there were a couple of tiny little notes that I made whilst commentating, and it was the third game of the second set. It was one game all, mm. and it was thirty all. Yes, on Djokovic's serve, and Kyrgios was right in there. And you know, you're, you're, you're looking for the moment that it might change. Because watching the Indian Wells final back this morning, I realised that how enjoyable Kyrgios finds rallying. With Novak Djokovic, when he's when he's when he's feeling fresh and good, Kyrgios, he likes getting embroiled in a long rally with him, and it's not like forward back, forehand back, and forehand. It's just it's right now. I'm going to give you my inside out slice, bending right to left, mm. and now I'm going to give you my loopy forehand cross court. Then I'm going to bend one down the line with my forehand. Now I'm going to play a drop shot, and you can tell he's he's enjoying examining this because. He doesn't think that Djokovic is just going to end him in a rally. He thinks Djokovic is going to keep going side to side and he can have fun in the rallies. That's kind of what happened in the first set. He's got his big serve to win easy points and then he can get stuck into the service game of of Djokovic. And I used to always enjoy watching Pete Sampras play Andre Agassi for the same sort of reasons. You could see Sampras roll through his service games and then explore his own ability from the back of the court against one of the best baseliners in the world. So it, I, I find it a great watch, those mm. two going head-to-head in that way. However, in the third game, at um, 15 or... At, at, sorry, at 30 all on the Djokovic serve, he's under pressure. Djokovic locks in for a long rally, a really long rally, and he refuses to miss. And he starts peppering that baseline that you, you referenced. And, you know, when you talk about... A returner making a server half volley shots. Traditionally, that used to be hitting hitting a, a shot at the feet of the incoming serve and volleyer. Djokovic's return puts it on the baseline his toes in that rough bit, which is all broken up, which may, mm. must be horrible to try and tee off with your own shots when the ball's landing on that rough bit. So he wins that thirty all point. Next rally, forty thirty, another one. He just he, he he's taking Kyrgios's legs from under him. And he's taking, he's starting to take his mind as well mm. by winning a long rally. Next game breaks him to love, and the match has changed. The match is just a totally different beast at this point, and and that's when the the, the Kyrgios ranting started to come. All the sort of the, the the problems he's inventing in his own mind, stress, stress. He's getting mm. frustrated, and then what happens? He's getting so upset about nothing at all that he's exhausting himself. And suddenly that relaxed curiosity of the first set, all fancy Dan, let's have nice rallies and watch how good I am, everybody. That's all gone because he's getting desperate. 
and that I'm sure is you know Gore, when we had Goran Ivanisevic in the interview room, he said it's not about tactics, and I, I I didn't get a chance to ask my question, but I'm sure it's about that. Just exhaust the guy, mm. make him make him come down from where he is in that first set and a half, and that's what he did. It was all the fault of a woman who had had 700 drinks. <laughs> it was a great line. Yeah, yeah, and uh, what, hashtag what? journalism. A chap from the Daily Mail revealed in his in the Nick Kyrgios press conference that that woman had actually only had two drinks and she was rooting for Nick Kyrgios from the start. What, what do you think about that, Nick? And this, and this is what this is what one of the things Kyrgios was ranting about, wasn't it, to the umpire about the woman? Mm. And he said, he said, what's the problem? And he goes, she's had seven hundred drinks. Kick her out. Basically. I mean, I didn't have a problem with Nick Kyrgios today. I mean, I think neither did I. Neither did I. I saw some criticism. I thought I thought his ranting at the box was excessive, but was it all that different from Andy Murray? He was his own worst enemy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think I had a, I think prob- he I had a problem himself. in the yeah, he cost himself, but no, I don't think he I think he was pretty much on the right side of the line yeah. today. And occasionally funny, and like it, that line about the 700 drinks. Yeah, and, and and let's take a moment to acknowledge the fake underarm serve. Oh. oh, did he do one of that? I didn't yeah, see that. that would. That, I'm sure he has done that in matches that I've not been watching, but I've never seen that before, and I loved it. Do you know? I think a fake underarm serve might be better than an underarm serve yeah. because a camera doesn't catch an underarm serve. It is a fundamental problem. He yeah. did one in the first set, didn't he? As you mentioned, and camera just completely missed it. Suddenly, you just get <laughs> all, you saw, all you saw was a scrambling Djokovic. Yeah, um, but actually, yeah, the fake <laughs> underarm serve is, is and great. actually against Djokovic, where. I think, as you nodded to David, the, it's not necessarily about winning the point with an underarm serve about Djokovic. Mm. It's just about sort of scrambling his mind and making him think about it and a it bit. Didn't, didn't so work, it's kind of the fake does the work mm. of of actually doing an underarm serve without sort of having to actually lose the point. Yeah, I think um, maybe Prince George in the front row learnt some new words today. Mm. <laughs> His face certainly suggested so. Again, could we just have a little moment for eight-year-old Prince George wearing a suit in 34 degrees? Let the boy just wear whatever he goddamn wants. I don't care if he's my future king. (laughs) I want my future king to have enjoyed his childhood, not sweating in a suit. (laughs) And then Novak put the trophy in his hands and... There was a moment where we thought, oh, oh we, my goodness, is he going to drop I thought he was going to drop it. He looked really unmoved by carrying the woman. I thought he might just go, oh, this is a bit heavy. Screw this. But the, I mean, the other thing with Djokovic is I think he went out to make sure he didn't get emotional, mm. to make sure he didn't get angry about it, at anything or anybody. I think Goran, that's the tactic they would have mm. had is don't get involved. Ride it out and you'll have more energy when it matters. It's why I found the sort of Instagram loving, which I know, Ugh. I know, wasn't to everyone's <laughs> taste. That's what I think of the Instagram loving, but I'm, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm probably overanalyzing it. But I did think maybe that was a sort of game plan from Djokovic in terms of don't, mm. you know, like we've seen how Kyrgios plays against Andy Murray, we've seen how he plays against Roger Federer. He doesn't bring any of or quite so many antics and theatrics. And I think 
Maybe Djokovic thought, my best bet to beat this guy is if it's just a straight tennis match. Yeah. And it was, pretty much. I mean, there was there was some curious stuff, but it was, as we said, it was sort of, it wasn't crossing the line. And I think maybe if there was an edge to it, if there was real tension to it, that might have ended up favouring Djokovic. Mm. Look, I, I think point. I think I suppose Djokovic generally is appreciative of what Kyrgios did in in terms of defending him in Australia this year. So maybe it was it was real, but there was that extra element to it that Kyrgios described it, it as him. Uh, him taking arrows in the back for mm. for Djokovic in Australia. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I'm going to make a prediction that I feel confident in for the first time in tennis podcast history. Those two are never going for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> they're also going to have another row at some point. I mean, it's possible they'll have like a performative dinner where they sit at the same table together for four minutes and post a picture of it on Instagram. Laughing That is That's not what, I, yeah, not what I'm talking about. They're never going for an enjoyable dinner. Are they going to a club to go nuts? No. Even less likely. <laughs> no, no, they are not. I was going to say Djokovic doesn't go to clubs, but we did see him in one uh, during the Adria tour, L- yeah. limboing. Mm. Yeah, maybe they'll do that. Um, it's interesting, David. You you via these extraordinary notes, which are frazzling my brain a bit. It's all a bit much for day fourteen of a Grand Slam, <laughs> David. But it, set two, Kyrgios gets broken to love. Set three, the crucial break, is a very different story because he gets broken from 40 love up. Yeah. And that I felt like that messed with Kyrgios' mind for a little while because 40 love up for Kyrgios is just, you know, it's yeah. it's playing with house money, isn't it? It's, oh, I can, I, I've, got, I've got what Goran Ivanovic today described as the best serve in tennis. I can mm. have fun for a couple of points here. I think that really rocked him and must have just felt so great for Novak Djokovic to, to win five points in a row yeah, on the Kyrgios serve. And, and, and Kyrgios couldn't, couldn't let that go. He, he, that's one of the things he kept ranting to the, the box about. And I don't, I don't know whether, because I mean, that occupied his service games for about the next four service games. Because he, and I don't know whether he was blaming them for something or just pointing out his own inadequacies about it and almost being sarcastic about them getting behind him given, given that last time I was 40 love up um, and he, he, he went 40 love up a couple of times uh, in subsequent games and he'd say oh yeah yeah he's going to come back and break me now you know something like that mm. and um, it's just it's tiring watching and it's tiring for him um, and he may well never control that and that will hold him back it has to just on that and you know what the future might hold for Nick Kyrgios I <laughs> I'm loath to to take us down this road because obviously it's entirely unpredictable just like the rest of his career has been but he he was asked you know where does this leave you he he was asked in press today about the joking answer he gave to to Sue Barker on on court today about you know does this give you hunger to, to come back and put yourself in this position more and he said he joked you know no way I'm absolutely exhausted don't want to go through that again anytime soon he was asked about that in the press conference and he said he said look if I'd won today I think that might have killed my hunger because this is the ultimate achievement in sport and finding somewhere to go with my finding a new goal after that might have been difficult which I understand he said actually losing you know, he was—he wasn't making any promises <laughs> about how much he was going to 
commit to tennis or winning future Grand Slam titles. But he said, this this leaves me hungry, hmm. I think. And he said, look, I have committed to tennis as much as I I am capable of, pretty much, in the last two weeks. He said, I hit every day. He said, I practice for an hour every day. I mean, there were other portions of the press conference where, you know, he was trying to make it clear that he's not fully committed to tennis and he's too cool to do that. And, you know, oh, you know, don't hit nearly as much as everybody else. And But in this particular answer, he said, look, I hit every day. I didn't have any beers <laughs> during the fortnight. Just more than the tennis podcast can say. Um, I didn't. He said I didn't go out very much. You know, this. He basically said this is the maximum I'm capable of in terms of focus. Um, and he came up short, but then he came up short to one of the greatest of all time. So, anybody want to take on the challenge of talking about the future for Nick Kyrgios? Well, I think he has made real strides here in terms of um, not only just the fact that he's reached the Wimbledon final, but I, I do think he's been present in terms of doing what tennis players are kind of supposed to do to get the best out of themselves day to day. And uh, he's de- definitely something has clicked and the people around him have, have, I don't know whether he's created an environment or whatever, whatever it might be, I think he's given himself the best chance t- to achieve this fortnight than he has in previous tournaments that we've seen. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't bet, bet that he will be doing exactly the same when we get to New York. He could, he could be nothing like that. Um, anything, anything could be happening with him by then. It, 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 I, I think New York is a, is a question mark, and I, I don't want to go too de- far down this road because the only research I've been able to do is on the internet because I don't have Australian legal knowledge. But if the court do accept the charges that have been referred to them for, for Nick Kyrgios's appearance um, on allegations of common assault on August 2nd it's possible that the bail conditions will mean him surrendering his passport I, right. I don't know about the particulars of his case, I don't know what the court will do many many things up in the air but there is certainly one scenario where he is required to surrender his mm. his passport, I mean we, we could have a US Open without either Wimbledon finalist Yeah. Sure. Wild times in tennis. Mm. I, I, look, I have, to be honest, I've, I've no interest in making any predictions about Nick Kyrgios. I, do, I don't have any confidence in anything. and mm. not really much interest in it either. I'm, you know, he had a good run here. And he did the best he's done so far. Mm. Fine. That'll do. I was, he, the, the first question to him was pretty much, you know, what do you think made the difference today? And he waxed lyrical... Um, about the composure of Novak Djokovic. He used a few different words, focus, um, you know, mental strength, but he kept on coming back to the composure word. Um, and then his he, the second answer he gave was about the, the hunger and how he does still have lingering hunger because he didn't win today. So I, I then asked him a question. I said, OK, given that hunger and given that you said the difference today was composure... Do you now feel motivated to go over and work in your own composure? And he described that question as a dig. He gave a good answer until the last yeah. sentence when he described, which is, and by the way, nonsense. Great question. Classic, um, curious type answer. I'm afraid. Um, but look, he 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 does need to. He he 
Djokovic may well have beaten him no matter what, but the match shifted because he couldn't control himself mm. and uh, and lost energy, and Djokovic didn't. And Djokovic maintained his best level. Kyrgios couldn't. To be fair, Kyrgios served really well in set four. I thought he got himself back on board. That was the best tennis of the match. Set four, they were both playing the best tennis pretty much at the same time. The serving was incredible from both players throughout that match. Um, in the in the second, sorry, in the in the fourth set, Djokovic only lost one point on, uh, sorry, only lost two points on his serve, and they were both double faults until the fifth service game. He was just rolling through. He, no rallies was he losing. Kyrgios in the first set and a half had eighty one percent first serves in with his serve. You know these are these players were were serving lights out um and it doesn't come down to much but Djokovic played like a champion he is a champion and and Kyrgios isn't Matt is as I mean look we're people that make our living out of tennis we're all invested and obsessed with the Grand Slam race it's an extraordinary narrative for us to to have and for to to have had for as long as we have but i think of you as the ultimate grand slam race obsessive the big three has been your life it's it, it been has. matt's life i've got other memories three <laughs> big three and i'm sort of trying to hang on to the sampras glory years and the edberg and he's looking at me and going yeah but they only won like 14 I, d- I don't have many other memories but i just feel s- I feel slightly different. I'm sort of on one hand obsessed with it, but then it, there is also another part of me that thinks the, the worries about the future and worries that it's holding the future mm. back. I, I, but you are all in on the Grand Slam race, and I love that. So you're getting the question about where this leaves the Grand Slam race and the future of the Grand Slam race. Yeah, I mean, well, just to explain a little bit I've loved the breakthroughs of Dominic Team and Daniil Medvedev and you know them picking up slams I've, I've really enjoyed those tournaments I've enjoyed seeing them win slams in the era of the big three the big four maybe now it's even the big two um, but yeah I do feel a sense of loyalty in a way to Djokovic Nadal and Federer I don't really get tired of them winning slams in a way that I think some people quite understandably do and those people who do get tired I'm not accusing them of not appreciating the greatness of them I'm I'm, I'm absolutely sure that everyone does but yeah I do get it new blood is exciting but for me the Grand Slam race is extremely exciting as well and where we are with it now I just think we're at such an odd period in the Grand Slam race because of the uncertainty about Novak Djokovic. And, of course, it's self-imposed uncertainty. There's a there's a very simple way that he could make sure he's playing the US Open, and that is to get vaccinated. But that, he's not going to do that. He's, he said that repeatedly. He is not going to do that. So... Where are we with it? Well, we said after the French Open that we felt like Nadal was in prime position to finish top. We also said that that conversation could change if Novak Djokovic rocks up at Wimbledon and and wins it, as he has done. I still probably think Djokovic is in pole position. And I suppose what I'm banking on there is him 
eventually being able to play the US Open, even if it's not this year. His dominance at Wimbledon is Nadal-like at Roland Garros. Not in terms of his whole career generally, but in the last seven or eight years, he hasn't lost on that centre court here at Wimbledon. He's such a good bet to win this tournament. As you said at the start, David, he could win a couple more of these. He's in such good shape. He hasn't really had any injuries for four or five years. I think he's probably still in prime position, but... As we said before, it, it really does feel like a race of two right now. And Federer's incredibly not in it. I, I still can't really get over that. But, yeah, Nadal and Djokovic, I still think they'll probably each win more slams. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to carry on. He's 35 years old. And that has barely been mentioned. Mm. And it's barely mentioned even in in throws forward to the future is it thinking about next year and the year after and how many he'll end up with he's i mean it's extraordinary what he's doing but his body does have to fail him eventually or start to fail him eventually it it's unbelievable how little we talk about his age and i know that's not just about him being physically unreal it's also about the way tennis is changed and the longevity of all the athletes you know Rafael Nadal's even older but he is 35 age is it's not totally irrelevant it's not and of course we don't know when that will bite of course it will bite eventually but he he just looks like he's got the body type that could be another five years yeah well this is it you know I look at him and I think it's not going to bite but then I you know it has to, Something right? Something will. So, or, or, or his motivation will go because he's... Probably because he's so far ahead. That's the only way his motivation will go. But, I mean, his body type looks like it could last for another five years to me. And I remember that wow. being something that Andre Agassi said when he was coaching him. And it was a, it was one of those where you just looked at, looked at the words and thought, really? I mean, that's silly. Mm. Come on, Andre. He's not going to last that long. But, I mean, he hasn't... Fade it. He, do, he he doesn't look any different to what he did four years ago, and uh, mm-hmm. I mean I think there are there are a couple of, there were a couple of interesting results earlier this year when he when he faded, but that was Monte Carlo and that was Belgrade. You know, he do, he looks like an animal again right now. He looks like he could run all day and keep doing it. What if? Sorry, Matt. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say a line that David mentioned Andre Agassi there in terms of that period when he coached Novak Djokovic that was of course a period when Djokovic wasn't with Marion Vida and I think a significant point here is that this is the first time Novak Djokovic has won a slam without Marion Vida in his coaching team mm. um, I was certainly a little bit um, concerned I suppose that you know him leaving Marion Vida might have quite a big effect on him in terms of such a turbulent time in Djokovic's career and life. Not having Marion Vida, that father figure, that constant presence in his life, could that disrupt his tennis? Well, no, I suppose is the answer because he's 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 won Wimbledon, and I th- I just think that's a quite a big deal that that he's done that now. Could not play a Grand Slam for ten months. Mm disrupt his tennis because you know he was he was very clear today that the rankings is no longer really 
a motivation for him at all. He's achieved the, the, the number one record, and that meant a lot to him, but he's done it now. He's not he, going to chase points. He, he, was, he was very clear. He basically said, if I'm not able to play the US Open, that's kind of that portion of the season wiped out for me. I'm not going to go and yeah, play I, non-Grand Slam events for the points. I think he'd maybe play Paris and mm. the ATP Finals because... By winning Wimbledon, if he finishes in the top twenty, that will that will qualify him yeah. for Turin. So I could see him doing that. He also mentioned Davis Cup. He gave Labour Cup a little shout out. He did, he? yeah. Um, Which of course is in London this year. But, but yes, he's very clear that his motivation is slams. His whole life, his whole career now is centred around slams and he might not be able to play one now for ten months. And okay, he went what would it have been from US Open to, to the French Open this year without playing a slam eight months? But he, but mentally, he thought he was going to play mm. one yeah. in Australia. And I think that's, I think that's, I that. do think that is different. Yeah. If mentally he's mm. not able to play a, a slam, that is yeah, because, not insignificant, I, mean, I it, don't it think. It took him a while to, to get. What mm. he is, what he's been this last two weeks. We mm. haven't seen. I mean, okay, he had a really good run in Rome, and he did look like himself there. And obviously, he ran into Nadal at Roland Garros. No, no disgrace in losing that. But this is the fortnight when he's been the real him, at his best. Uh, and even then, there were he was two sets to love down against Yannick Sinner. So I don't think the other players are without chances against him. I think that this it's very easy to just get into a routine of assuming Djokovic finds a way because usually he does mm. but he's you know you don't want to be getting yourself into those positions mm. all the time and um and I do think he he could we could see a, a result at some point with one of these younger players whether it's Alcraz or Sinner I, they're all going to get better mm. um and if they're they're attuned and they're playing the slams and he's not and then they run into each other next summer even here you know one of these years, it's going to happen. So it's, it's not ideal, I agree. And I think that's exactly it. In terms of the Grand Slam race, Djokovic is banking on the long game. He is banking on his body lasting three, four, five more years. And Nadal could be a contender at both of the next two. For sure, mm. for sure. So yeah, He could win them both. So he's banking on that long game. And, he's, and also... He's banking on his game still being good enough in, in that time as well as his body. And I do think an element here is someone like Carlos Alcaraz. How quickly does he develop? How good is Carlos Alcaraz in two years' time? Uh, because I think Djokovic is going to need those years to get ahead because as you know, he might not play a slam for the next 10 months. So that sort of wipes out the short term. So he needs that long term. So it's by no means a guarantee even though he's closed the gap to one um, yeah I mean it's fascinating I mean how can you not be fascinated by look it look at Matt he <laughs> <laughs> loves it he is he's he's, <laughs> he's already doing his stats for next yeah, year he is <laughs> when you're ready to pop the question the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring at BlueNile.com you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Uh, what else happened today, folks? Well, actually, we should probably take you back to yesterday. And the men's doubles final. Oh, we had a great time. Which uh, we signed off before the completion thereof. Uh, and we looked at the score and we thought, hang on a second, this is, you know, as predicted by Catherine, definitely going to a deciding set tie break. Oh, you got a prediction right. We should sneak onto <laughs> centre court. Uh, do you know what, Matt? It's been so bad this fortnight. I've just got to take that. You'll on take the that. Okay. I have to take it. Well, this is coming from Beatrice Haddad Meyer, mm, man. Indeed. I, yeah, I, I take it. It's fine. We toddled off to centre court, didn't we? And saw yeah. Max Purcell and Matt Ebden defeat a completely wiped out looking Nikola Mektic and Matej Pavic. I mean, one of them had played the match with a broken wrist yeah. uh, <laughs> in, in the final that, set tie break. I don't think I've seen anybody look more tired than those two. In it that was extraordinary. Break. I mean, obviously, we hadn't been there on court for the whole of the, the final set. And, you know, whether that had that sort of suddenly came on at the last or whether they'd look like that for a while. But, I mean, they could barely move. Yeah, I mean, they'd basically given it up at about 5-2. Yeah. And it's first to 10. And they were just looking <laughs> at each other. Like they'd hit a return and miss, and they'd go up and go, you know, do the, the, the obligatory <laughs> hand tap. But they just looked like they wanted to just leave. There was an amazing synchronised falling onto the backs from Max Purcell oh. and Matt Ebden, wasn't well, that there? That was magical, and that was. I believe... Um, Tom Moran, who writes the match notes here, was telling me that Ebden and Purcell, I think this is right, the first men's doubles champions at Wimbledon ever to win the title after saving match points in multiple matches. They did it in the first round and in the semi-finals, of course, against Ram and Salisbury, five of them in the semi-finals. So they they had a hell of a road to get there and obviously ending it with a with a fifth set tie break. They did it the hard way. And they, of course, lost to the Special Ks mm. in the Australian Open final. So I'm, I'm chuffed with them. That, and it, it meant so much, That's when it's didn't it? great, isn't it? Yeah. And, and the, you know, the stadium was still half full. We were, it was a great atmosphere in there and it was getting dark. And, yeah, like you say, the fact that it meant so much to them, mm. that's what you want. Yeah. 
It was lovely. And this evening, we've seen Barbora Krychikova and Katerina Siniakova beat Elisa Mertens and Zhang Shui to win the women's doubles title. I mean, Krychikova and Siniakova are just head and shoulders. I, I, above I watched the rest. a bit of that while you guys were in the press conferences, just on the on the the screen next to Hemman Hill, and um, that that looked high quality. And um, Krychikova and Siniakova just bowled over by the victory as well. It's great. Yeah, I think especially because they weren't able to defend their mm. Roland Garros title because obviously Krychikova tested positive for COVID, didn't oh, she, yeah. in Paris? And they had to pull out of that tournament. So to then, just a month later, come come back and win here, yeah, it's, it's a big deal for them. I saw the I saw the penultimate point, which was an incredibly long rally with moon balls and you know lots of changing positions on the court and. Siniakova and Krychikova are just so solid and strong. They, I mean, they're both good at their net. They're both good from the back of the court. They're a, they're a really formidable team. Alfie Hewitt lost out in the men's oh. wheelchair singles final to Shingo Kaneda. Second seed against top seed. This was 4-6, 7-5, It was every bit as epic as that scoreline makes it sound. Matt and I watched quite a lot of this match including the the critical stages this is Shingo Kanida winning or completing the golden career slam and 28th grand slam and 28th title. grand slam singles title both of them despite everything that they've achieved were playing for a first ever Wimbledon title and that was so clear yeah. in the match it felt it felt like life and death that match and Never more so than during the four games where Alfie Hewitt served for that match. It was utter heartbreak. Well, for I Alfie commentated Hewitt. on the second set for Five Live, and um, and at thirty all, he's two points away mm. from the title, and then he lost the set, Oof. and then he went three love up in the third, and as you say, I mean four service games that he he served for it. My heart was breaking for him at the end, and I was. Pleased for Kenyatta because he never won the Wimbledon either. And but Hewitt is probably one of the players I will remember this Wimbledon for because of that mm. comeback from six one five two down in the semis, for the fact that he came out then and played doubles with Gordon and they got the win, and and they got to play court one finally this massive barrier that just got broken down as a result of that, and then this final. I, I won't forget that, mm. it, and it, and actually, it was the first time I've come. I think it's the first time I've commentated on a full match um, in the wheelchair singles, and just to learn about the strokes a bit more. You know, on the backhand side, I didn't know that it's called uh, a, a reverse forehand, and it's because they're hitting the backhand on the same straight sides mm. of the string as the as the forehand, because if you did it as a backhand, you would hit your wheel, and. I remember back in the early 90s, there was a player called Alberto Berisategui, a Spanish player who reached the French Open final. And very famously, he used to hit his forehand on the same side as the string, as, as, the, as the backhand. It was such an extreme grip that he would just literally just hit it and then kind of hit the backhand, but he wouldn't change the grip at all. It just changed the angle of his wrist. And, uh, and it was a bit like watching that. And, I mean, you, you said to me, Matt, that... Alf, Alfie Hewitt may well end up on the backhand list because mm. 
<laughs> the, the the security yeah. and the reliability and the angles he could create with that thing. Matt was sort of oh. delaminating his list before he found out that the backhand was ineligible. Yeah, it's a reverse <laughs> forehand. Yeah. yeah, it's just great it's, to watch. Yeah, it really was. And I want to know what what core workouts mm. those guys do in the gym because oh the. It was making me feel exhausted watching them. Mm. The effort going on to every single ball. Just your standard rally ball looks like the Incredible Hulk's hitting it. You know, (laughs) it's unreal. They're having to do pirouettes at the back of the court in order to get in position. Mm. It's amazing. Yeah, it was was an extraordinary watch. It seemed to me that the rallies often either ended on return. Like, I, I think the return is kind of the easiest shot you get because it's short and you're in position already. You, there, was, there were a lot of return winners, but if you don't hit a winner off the return, the rallies can be so protracted mm. and mm. just sort of endless and, and either sliced or looped or the angles they get. It was, it, was a, it was a brilliant watch. And Hewitt, not only did he serve for the match four times, he was twice 30 love up in those Oof. games. And then he was a mini break up in the tie break, I think 5-3, and then ended up losing the last seven points of the match it was, it was a heartbreak yeah. I hope he wins next year mm. yeah maybe we're not supposed to be biased but go on Alfred <laughs> I think probably the whole tennis world hopes he wins last year but Shingo Kaneda <laughs> he's a legend isn't he given he, what a he legend he's a been in the sport well. he, yeah he deserved to have a Wimbledon in his locker extraordinary Alfie's only 24 yeah your your time will come Alfie yeah you and on like, like they're saying those, <laughs> all those presentation he'll definitely win one of these um sam schroeder's time is now he completed the double today the quad wheelchair singles title uh he defeated Niels on wheels vink the top seed seven six six one what a year sam schroeder is having and then uh he partnered Niels vink to beat andy lapthorne and david wagner the second seed six seven six two six three to win the uh, quad wheelchair doubles title. The women's wheelchair doubles title was won by the unseeded Yui Kamiji and uh, Dana Mathewson of the United States. They beat the top seeds Dida de Hutt and Anik Van Koot, 6-1-7-5. That's a heck of a win because uh, de Hutt and Van Koot have just had a stranglehold on the sport for a very long time. Uh, the men's invitational doubles was very unsurprisingly won by the Bryan brothers. <laughs> I mean, does that seem fair? Who did they beat? They beat Marcos Bagdatis and Xavier Melis, 6 3 6 4. I mean, of course they did. I was a bit worried about somebody putting them up against poor old Mansour or <laughs> someone like that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, pleased for them, well but done, you know, Bob and of Mike. course. And, and same vibe. The women's invitational doubles was won by Kim Kleises and Martina Hingis. I mean, of course. By the way, I, I saw their opponents this morning, and I, I, I had a quick word with Daniela Hantikova as I was walking in, and I said, "Oh, are you playing today?" She goes, "Yeah, yeah." I said, "So you don't sound too up for it?" She says, "Oh, we're playing against Kim Kleises and Martina Hingis," and she says, "If we get one game, I'll be happy." Mm. <laughs> she got a few more than that. Yeah, six four six two. Well done, them. Uh, and the mixed invitational doubles was won by Nenad Zimenich and Marion Bartley. They beat Todd Woodbridge and Cara Black seven six six one in the final. And David, I was listening to your um, build up to the men's singles final on Five Live, and cruelly, you were the 
the throw to you, the big introduction of David Law, commentator on on the final, was have have you won any titles today? I had to say, uh, uh, unfortunately, not. <laughs> or never, in fact. Because he was, you were proceeding. Yes. You were following on from Marion Barnes. It was also Russell Fuller's birthday, and I was mm. having, having to be asked whether it's either my birthday or I'd won anything, and I've done neither. Mm. <laughs> I've done nothing of any use. Oh, I suppose I've won the predictions. So. <sighs> oh. I was going to mention it, you know, David, well, but you've. It just popped into my head. <laughs> you've snookered yourself there because now I don't have to. Well. The boys' singles was won by Mili Polyachak of Croatia, who turns 18 in three days. Uh, he also won the boys' doubles title at Czech? the French Open. He is Croatian, David. Is he? Oh. Yeah. Now we're talking. He, First ever Croatian to win yeah, this, I think. Yeah. Oh, I'll have to ask Goran what is He like. beat Michael Jung, uh, the American, 7676. Uh, in the final, so eighteen or three days, he'll be transitioning to the to the senior game sharpish. I would yeah. have thought so. Well, I might go and watch his match back. You keep know. Uh, keep your eyes. Well, let us know, David. Curious. Curious. Let us know if he's one for the future. Um, I'm desperately trying to find other results to bring you because I don't want this Wimbledon to be over. No, it's getting dark. It's getting dark. The sun is setting, literally and figuratively over Wimbledon 2022. We're the only people left anywhere near Henman Hill. Mm. The tournament is doing that thing where they start dismantling everything far too quickly. It's Mm. my least favourite thing about tennis tournaments. Just There should be a period of mourning. You can take everything down tomorrow. (laughs) Yes. Why does Wimbledon need to do that? It's not... not Yeah, leave it all up. for anything else, is it? Leave it up. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's quite a sight, isn't it? I mean, it's been it's been so special to be back, hasn't it? Just to be sitting on this bench again. It's, it's where we started the tournament. It's where we're ending it. It's been it's been emotional. Feels real. Feels mm-hmm. like it used to feel before the yeah. pandemic. And um, yeah, okay, it's not it's not gone. We know that, and a lot of people are suffering with it still. But it's the closest thing to 2019 that we've had here at Wimbledon and it's it is lovely it's absolutely lovely mm, it's uh, it's been a special couple of weeks so thank you to everyone that sent us lovely messages everyone that's come up to us on one of these picnic benches um it's been it's been wonderful to hear from you all and have your support thanks to all friends of the tennis podcast that make all of this possible in terms of what's coming your way in the next couple of weeks well If you are a friend of the Tennis Podcast, don't worry. Your Wimbledon morning period shall not be too long because not only on Wednesday will you get our now regular Wimbledon review show, which is all of our thoughts about the full two weeks with the benefit of a little bit of digestion period. From hot takes to lukewarm takes (laughs) on Wednesday. And voice notes as well, now iconic voice notes. But... Before that, on Tuesday, you will be getting, uh, consequent to the roaring success of David Law's French Open, uh, French Open. What, what, what did we title it? Audio diary. Audio diary. Following yeah. on from that, I've given this one an official title. This one's called David's Diary. David's Wimbledon 2022. Diary. I, I think it m- might now be a series. Mm. Desperately going to alliteration whenever we can for a pod title. <laughs> 
Mm. We've been rumbled. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So that'll be coming your way on Tuesday. David's been working on it for two weeks. Matt's had a preview listen. Mm. It's great. So friends of the podcast. It's very intimate and I found it really relaxing. Oh, good. Mm. It's a very nice listen. Well, your French Open Diary was a huge hit, David, particularly with the Whitaker family, so I'm sure... Everyone's on the edge well, of their this, seats. This one wasn't a last-minute do-it-in-the-morning-of-the-final <laughs> effort. This was a, a, a start the day before the tournament and still still be going by the time we finish this show. So, Friends of the Pod, those two episodes are coming to you this week. The following week, you'll be getting two Q&A episodes of the show over the uh, over the following week. So, lots coming your way. And for for regular listeners to the weekly show, uh, we'll be back soon. Don't worry, folks. We're going to have a couple of weeks hiatus. I'm sure everybody needs a break from our voices. Or maybe you don't. And if you don't, then become a friend of the pod. But <laughs> Well said. You know. Andy Murray plays a tennis match tomorrow. Yeah, against Does Sam Querrey. Mm. That's a, t- a tough draw, isn't it, in <laughs> Newport, Rhode Island? I had no idea about that. Yeah. Sorry, Andy, I will not be watching. <laughs> no. But look, tennis keeps coming and uh, we'll be there with you every step of the way when when not all tennis happens, but certainly when significant tennis starts happening. Don't worry, we'll be in your ears to uh, to bring you all the latest. Anything else I can say to spin this out a little bit longer or shall I commence the formalities? Commence them. Well, I would like to thank Willow, Mm. our lovely Wimbledon mascot. If you haven't seen Willow, then head to our Instagram. I did a post about Willow earlier with a a sequence of photos, and they are all magnificent. Willow is a beaut. So thank you ever so much, Willow, for uh, being with us throughout this fortnight. Uh, Zero thanks to Carter (laughs) for bringing me no luck whatsoever. Carter texted me earlier and said the same about you. I jest, Carter. It's all on me, this one. It was a disaster. And I apologise. We'll do better for the next slam. David, quick moment for you and Darwin. And I mean quick. Darwin, high five. We nailed it. And uh, we rescued our reputation. So thank you for your support. I thank you. Matt. You and the dearly departed Gerald, a respectable mid-table. Mid-table, very much what I'm hoping Fulham might do next season. <laughs> Good in your dreams. Ambitious, <laughs> very ambitious. Billie Jean, I think, has won, won the fortnight, just as she wins every week of her life. Uh, she's sponsored by Billie Jean King and Alana Kloss. We have Kyle Weingartner and Chris Albert-Lee, who are our executive producers and all-around top blokes and we have our final Wimbledon 2022 shout-outs. Yes, one final time for Katie Chalton, who is in Hertfordshire. Oh, hello Katie, like Katie Bolter. Yeah, I commentated with Katie today, Katie O'Brien, during the uh, the wheelchair men's singles final. Very much enjoyed it. Hadn't seen Katie in a long, long time and she's nearly as good as this Katie. Brilliant. (laughs) Hello, Katie. Thank you very much. We've also got Rishi Kanner, who is in Minneapolis. Rishi's a frequent person who gets in touch. Yeah, Rishi's a top bloke. Really An nice. An honorary top bloke, mm. even though we've got two already. <laughs> we could have one as our next Prime Minister. <laughs> oh. Yeah. A top bloke? <laughs> Definitely not if that. Only. A, okay. a Rishi. Okay, right. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. 
Anyway, Rishi, so, so, sorry to lower the tone. Thank you ever so much for being the very best, Rishi, and for your support. Yeah. And we have Cynthia Smith, who very Great appropriately, name. given our next Grand Slam destination, is in New York oh, City. Yeah. yeah! Go on, Cynthia! Love that name, Cynthia Perfect Smith. Perfect timing. That's a... Uh, that's an old school Hollywood name, I that, think. That's going to help us get over Wimbledon, isn't it? Yeah, we've got that. Fifty, day, on New York 50 City. days today. Is it? The US Is Open that right? starts. Fifty days today, Buzzing. and folks, Start thanks to friends of the tennis podcast, the three of us will be there. The tennis podcast is taking the big apple, folks. Yeah, it's going to be like Sharknado, but better. <laughs> And on that note, and very appropriately, with David looking at me like doesn't know what on earth I'm on about. I'll Google it. It's, all right. it's very apt. I'm going to take this show off the road one last time for Wimbledon 2022. It has been a joy, a privilege, a pleasure, a wild ride as always. Thank you, tennis, for that. Thank you ever so much for listening, and we'll speak to you soon. 